is up, guys? Welcome back to the Running and Gunning Podcast. Uh, sorry we weren't able to get one down last week. We were really busy between doing family stuff and trying to hunt. Um, it's one of those things, but I'm really excited for today. I've uh, got a good buddy of mine, Travis Melichick. He is uh, he's a guy from Pennsylvania. He's a public land grinder. Um, great dude. We always keep in touch here through season, and uh, I became good friends with Travis uh, online and just one of one of the good dudes I love uh, bouncing ideas off of and hearing stuff, and I think he's going to be an awesome fit for, for this podcast, and you guys will really take a lot from this one, I imagine. Um, but without further ado, we also have Logan with us today, which is awesome. How are you doing, Logan? I'm doing pretty well. Um, had a good Thanksgiving, and uh, again, yeah, we apologize for not putting one out, but man, everyone's busy this time of year. <laughs> oh, yeah. It makes it tough, but yeah. I'm excited for uh, late season. Um, you know, it's the last day of November, and we're going to get into uh, – I think it's it'll get a little bit easier, to be honest, um, for, you know, you and I that are still chasing. So I hope so, man. Keep it doesn't man. seem Keep to. Yep. Yes, sir. Well, there we have Travis. Travis, let's uh, let's. Why don't you introduce yourself, brother? Uh, give us a little info about yourself. You know how you've been in the game. Well, I'm Travis Malochik. Uh I started at Anthracite Antler Addicts recently in the last few years. Um, I've been bow hunting probably 23 years and hunting 24 years now. Uh, yeah, I'm just your average coal region. Uh, Antler addict, actually, you know, it's, it's just, it's a passion of mine since I'm, you know, 12, 13 years old to be going after deer, and, you know, to me, it's my life, you know what I mean, it's 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 legit all I think about, 365, as soon as this season ends, I'm waiting for, to, to go ahead, to go out and start, you know, stomping around, finding my next spots, so, it, it's legit a lifestyle, I'm in it with, I'm in this whole anthracite antler thing, with uh, a few buddies of mine, a crew crew of guys that uh, share the same aspects like you guys, you know what I mean? So uh, we get after it every year, and we just put in hours, log in the miles for scouting and stuff like that, and you know it's it's a lifestyle. You know it's a good but it's a good addiction. Could be doing worse. Could be doing meth. But, oh, yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah, especially <laughs> in our regions. You know, we could definitely be doing meth, so we're in good shape. But, <laughs> dude, don't sell your. I mean, honestly, Travis uh, puts me to shame. I feel like guilty sometimes because I feel like I really am doing more work than I ever have. But uh, I talk to my buddy Travis, and I'm like, man, this kid, this guy gets after it. I mean, you really do. Um, I mean, what would you say? Like, how many cameras are you running? If you want to disclose that. I'm such a camera whore. It's really sad. <laughs> Currently, right now, between me, well, me and Luke, uh, one of my partners uh, in in this whole thing, uh, we share cell cameras. So I have three. He has four. But now, with Tacticam, you can actually share the pictures between each other. So we're running seven cell cameras, and generally around just over thirty SD card cameras. And I'm <clears throat> an idiot and bought eight more tonight. So. <laughs> <laughs> The addiction is real. Sometimes meth might be cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> you might be on to something there, but uh, no. It's, Lil, uh, let's pass. It's honestly just like a – when I was in the service, I was in the service for several years as an intelligence analyst for the Army. You know, Army intelligence is an oxymoron, but uh, 
it did help me out with a lot of traits, being able to read topographical maps and be able to uh, analyze information, because that's what my job was to analyze uh, the intelligence that came in. And, uh, you know, information is golden. You know, that knowledge is critical in deer success of deer season. So the more cameras I have out, the more information I have coming in, the better my chances are. It's all about putting those percentages in your favor. So by me putting out that many cameras, you know, it's just establishing uh, a data pattern, you know. So yeah, that's yeah. what I really hang my hat on. I th there's a, a lot of guys that call those force multipliers, right? That Yeah. Those, yeah putting exactly. all those little pieces together, um, mm -hmm. you know, gives you the best opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, 110%. Could you uh, so, take a minute to explain what – antler anthracite is and what you guys do well anthracite antler addicts is just like a group of me and my friends um we got it together first about well, 2020 was the first season we hit the ground running i started the, the facebook and the instagram page and everything and we wanted to try and accurately portray the struggles of hunting our area is i feel that uh pennsylvania gets a lot of attention for the north central counties because the big woods you know potter clinton lycoming counties like that and then you also have western pennsylvania around uh the allegheny national forest but the coal region of pennsylvania schuylkill county carbon county that that area there it's a lot more difficult than those areas because the hunter density is way up so the pressure is skyrocketing and you're hunting areas that necessarily aren't big woods. Uh, it's a lot of old reclaimed mine ground because that whole area was leveled back in the 20s. There was no trees, nothing. It was just straight coal pits, strip mines and coal mining area. So the forest regeneration is super thick. It's just scrub oaks. You have white, patches of white oaks and big red oaks here and there, but it's mainly scrub oaks and pines and just briars and nastiness, and blueberries up to your freaking waist. It's it's really difficult terrain to like, gauge how to hunt, you know, because when you hear people say, oh, find the security cover, the whole fucking mountain security cover. Right. So where do you right. start? You know? So a so lot of us... I'm sorry to cut you off, Travis. So is that no, like no where it's it's so much more important for you to focus on the topos is what you're saying? Is that where you would yeah. say like that's what separates you from the, the you know the other guys? Like you're more into looking at topos <clears throat> and getting on like, you know, bridges and stuff? Yeah, topographic is important. It, it helps when you get on a topo map on a, like on an Onyx or Spartan Forge or whatever you use – uh, that's a great way to cut down bullshit. You know what I mean? It's a great way mm -hmm. to, okay, this area, not so much. This area is very important. You think it would be very important, so you go in there and you get boots on the ground, and it either confirms or denies whatever you thought. You know what I mean? So you can right. really cut down on boots on the ground and waste the time. You could really yeah. get into the meat of the, the scouting right away. But I created this group to really convey how tough the hunters we are and how tough it is to hunt in this area, you know, and uh, to give locals a bragging board, you know, to, to share in their their harvest, their successes, and to bring people together ultimately. There's no negative shit on my page. I mean, I'll throw stuff out there to stir the pot and cause debate and whatnot, <laughs> but the minute somebody starts, like, being demeaning of somebody's trophy or whatnot, they get the fucking banner. I don't even put up with that nonsense. 
because we need to band together. We don't need to be tearing yeah. each other apart. It, it's Amen. good to have a healthy debate and productive conversations to where both sides, maybe you may not see eye to eye, but there may be like an olive branch or something that you can actually agree, something that you can agree on to an extent yeah. or compromise. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, awesome, man. The, the yeah, internet that, can be a, uh, an interesting place for sword? that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so. it can also be awesome because it's brought together, you know, the three of us, if it weren't for that, probably wouldn't be talking right now. Um, oh, exactly. So it's, it's been awesome. I think in that aspect, um, I know I've created a lot of friends that way. Um, and learned a lot, um, through stuff like that, like through what you've started, um, and other pages and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's an awesome, um, soundboard, I guess, just for knowledge and information. And like you said, you know, the more information that you can collect, um, the better off, the better chances you're going to have. And that's kind of the, um, outlook that I have. Like I always just try and collect as much data and info and, you know, whether it's different tactics or techniques, um, when it comes to anything, you know, and then I formulate what works for me and I apply it, um, and, you know, leave the rest behind, but I like it. Absolutely. Like I said, I don't even remember how me and Justin got started talking. I think I was on another <laughs> podcast and you might've caught, caught wind of it or something. You said you liked how I, the way I carried myself and shit. And then we just got hit it off running. Yeah, no, no kidding, man. I don't know. We've been keeping in touch for probably, uh, I would say, about like a year and a half now or so. Because I know yeah, last that. last winter we were talking about getting together when I went to the uh, Great American Outdoor Show, and, and we finally got yep. to meet. And I felt terrible, man, because we were so freaking busy at the Lone Wolf booth. I, like, I couldn't escape to go do nothing. And I was like, man, I wanted to, I wanted to hang out with you because it's like we live 10 hours apart. So it's like, you know, it's, it's tough. It's all good, man. It's all good. Yeah, I was hung up no. in the Smokey stand. I was uh, talking to you know, Smokey McNicholas uh, about his products and whatnot, and then people were asking yeah. me questions how they use. I must have sold that guy like $250 worth of oh, products. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, you got me using it this year. I mean, I see how much you use it. Um, Travis is huge on scrapes. Um, I've kind of taken some of the stuff from him and what he's kind of doing with these scrapes with – with the smoky scent and uh he's had a ton of success with it so i mean you you are turning into uh you know quite the the scrape master i'd say but um i'm starting to turn a few corners yeah man you you definitely you get a lot of good bucks on uh especially for your area it's like we've talked about it and i'm like dude you need to come hunt kentucky public sometime like not to, not to try and bring all these people to come hunt public here but <laughs> But I told him, I'm like, dude, you would you would slay around here if you could, you know, give him like four or five days. I bet you he'd turn something up. And next year, I think we're uh, talking about getting together, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be a fun, yeah, I am fun couple days. Totally, 100% full in on that for sure. Heck yeah, so. public land challenge. Well, dude, Did let's you... get into the meat and potatoes. I'm sorry. Sounds what did good you, to me. What you want to say? Oh no, What's I up, mean Logan? this this is the meat and potatoes. I was just gonna ask, like, if you could go over. You know, if you're the scrape guy, if um, if that's your thing, like, what does your process look like? And break that down a little bit. Well, as far as uh, scrapes go, I look for the scrapes right near thickest to cover and bedding. If I get known doe bedding or buck bedding, 
Um, and I know I have a huge giant community scrape nearby, or just even, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it is, if it's the size of a freaking dinner table or a car hood, I'm all over it, especially if it's near thick cover and bedding or, or in the transitions in between. Um, first thing I do is if I'm going to doctor it up, I go ahead and put gloves on. See, a lot of people just don't do that. You have to. You have to. You're dealing with an animal that relies on its nose to survive. So I'm putting gloves on and I'm doctoring up the scrape. I'm creating the whole illusion. I'm not just putting, you know, uh, piss or anything down in the scrape. I'm using uh, preorbital gland on the licking branch. If there is no licking branch, like definitive licking, if you have the scrape on the ground, you usually look for that bent, broken, or hanging branch down. Yeah. I'll even break a branch so it gets in his face a lot more. You know, there's some branches that are up high that he'll get on his hind legs and rub his face in. I'll break it down so there's no way he doesn't have an opportunity that hits him in the face. It, the scent is right there. So on the licking branch, I'm using preorbital gland. I'm using forehead gland scent above that and around surrounding branches because if you've ever noticed, if you watched on video or, or on, uh, on your pictures, you see them where they're rubbing their whole head in there. They're getting forehead gland scent in there as well. Um, and then I move to the actual dirt work itself. And the dirt work, I'm putting six to 10 drops of interdigital gland in there. And that creates the whole illusion of another buck's profile in there. Because what you're trying to do is, if there, there's a mature buck in the area and he's most likely working that scrape, he knows all the bucks and all the deer in that area. He knows, okay, uh, well, I have you know, Betsy, Jesse, and Jamie's uh, inner digital gland. Those are those in the area. And then there's, you know, Bill, Ed, and Louie. Those are the bucks in the area. I know their scent. And then he catches the scent that I put in there. Who's the fuck? It? Who, who's this? Who's this yeah. asshole? Why is he in my area? So it's going to get him more curious as to why I'm in his area. He's going to go looking and find, you know, he's going to visit that scrape a little bit more just to see if I keep coming back or not. So if that keeps him curious and keeps him coming in, you know, that's adding that, that's getting that percentage in my favor. If I can get him to come out of his way for five, 10 minutes, that's five, 10, five or 10 more minutes. I have him available to kill. Yeah. Now for you, when you are setting up these scrapes, are you already looking for the kill tree? Like, are most of your scrapes for observation or for hunting, or do you separate them accordingly? How do you, what is your perspective on that? Well, I will also doctor up satellite scrape areas. I'll find that big giant mega scrape next to bedding and deep in cover, and I will put cameras on that, and I will find kill trees to and from that, or even right directly over it if it calls for it. Uh, then I'll work satellite scrapers, scrapes that are used semi-frequently, and uh, but they're not as far deep in the cover. They're like they're on the fringes of those deep areas, and I use them for inventory. Okay, this deer's moving through that area. This deer's moving through this area, and I'll do this along the whole ridge. And if I can get that same buck work in that area. Then I can try and establish a pattern. Okay, now I'm zeroing in on his core. If I got him deep in that scrape and on the fringes, then I could start creeping in more and more and more as the season goes on. Right. And you're, for our listeners, they don't know this, but like when are you getting these started? Because I know you get them started like a lot earlier than most people are ever March. thinking about. 
Right. March. I, I so get they started in March. Their full year, so, like you're using these scrapes the whole season. Yeah, I started in I started in March and April, and I just little bits here and there, and I I'll probably go in every four weeks to refresh them at that point, and then once it hits like I want to say June, I completely stop going in, and I just let the areas cool the fuck off. You know, okay. I don't worry about the cameras and everything, and then I'll go back in right around the last week of August or the first week of September, doctor everything up, and then back out completely before the season. That way, yeah. I let everything cool off. I'll try to do it in like a light rain, or if I know a, uh, a rain is coming within the next 48 hours, I'll do that then because then all my scent is washed away. Right. And uh, one big thing I do uh, with my scrapes, and I learned it from Smokey himself, I get regular twine. Okay. I buy it at any craft store, any unscented twine or whatever, and I wrap this around in two separate spots on the licking branch. On the licking branch, or I'll wrap another ball around on a branch above it, and that's what I put my uh, my scent on because it'll hold okay. the scent longer. If you put the scent just directly on the branch, weather and stuff is going to wash that away fast. Right. So something right. as simple as this can hold that scent a lot longer. Okay, that's a cool tip. That's awesome, man. I'll hold on to that. This year, um, I did a. I kind of got with a Black Widow sense. I, I used to be, you know, affiliated with them for a little bit. <clears throat> and I wanted to get more into doing scrape stuff, and I saw that they had some products. And they had a uh, – it's basically like a, a hemp brush. It's not like a rope. It's just like a brush, and it's got a piece of uh, rubberized gear tie on it. And I got to say, like, that holds that scent so much better than, like, anything I've used so far. And – I mean, the deer is still hitting it, like, almost every day. Does, bucks, whatever yep. it is. And I think, like, I've established, like, a, a real good primary scrape in and out of, like, you know, on this one trail that leads out of bedding. But yeah, I, I, I love I using the scrapes. Do, I won't necessarily do a lot of mock scrapes. Um, okay. I, I, like I said, I, I like to overmark scrapes and add a different deer's profile into the mix. For our listeners that don't know, explain what the difference is between a mock scrape. And... Okay, mock scrape is just a scrape that you create yourself. All right, it's completely 100% fabricated. Uh, right. An overmark scrape is just an existing scrape that you're just adding your own your, the scent you use to it. You're just yes. adding another deer's profile to the mix. I mean, uh, if you listen to guys like uh, Troy Pottinger, a lot of times what they'll do is to really fuck with a buck. They'll take a licking branch from another completely different area and right. zip tie it to the licking branch on yeah. on the main scrape that he finds. And that'll cause like a frenzy. I mean, I, okay. I, I I plan on trying that. That that has me. That had my. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh. Oh yeah. I just got the gears turning. I oh, was so bummed here. out, dude. I found I go. Uh, I have a cell cam on one of my favorite scrapes that gets used. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, almost every night, and it's a great monitoring, you know, scrape. And the freaking farmer comes in there, and next thing I know, I got a picture. He takes out my whole licking. I had this nice overhanging big licking branch full of like, I mean, dude, they had like a car hood size scrape under this thing. And now it's just a giant pile of dirt under there that sticks out like a sore thumb. But I had it happen. I did a public land challenge with another crew, uh, PA backcountry podcast. And, uh, we went up to Potter County, Clinton and Potter County, uh, to hunt public land up there. They gave us like 24 hours to scout. 
And uh, I went up there, found a great community scrape way back in the brush, way back from people, so I thought, and uh, created the <laughs> licking branches and everything. And when I got up there to actually go hunt it the second week of October, probably the worst week to ever go out and hunt. But, uh, yeah, I went out to hunt it, and I got a picture of a bunch of Boy Scouts breaking off all my licking branches. Oh, no, you got to be kidding. No Man. bullshit, and I probably have yeah. a... I probably have a 140 class 10 point that was working the branch up until that. Oh damn! So, yeah, that uh, that was a little frustrating. That's a that's a bad sting right there, man. You you had a oh, rough yeah. go this year with people messing with your stuff. I'm not trying to uh, trying to shine the the spotlight on that, but you you did. I remember with us talking. It was like you were having a a little bit of bad luck there, but you did get it done. Yeah, yeah, I got it done. It, it was a little yeah. bit of bad luck streak. I had people messing with cameras, people messing with my scrapes, and people following me. Uh, that's why I stopped posting all the p- pictures of everything that I have on camera because, uh, yeah, you know, people. I actually started taking <laughs> other people's vehicles to check my shit because people know I, mean, <laughs> I drive a drive a pretty noticeable truck, so people are actually following my truck. You know, okay, he was, he was parked here, so you know they start deep diving in the area. But, uh, yeah, I got it done on November 8th this year. I was lucky enough to get in uh, the spot. I hunted it the first uh, first Saturday, and I saw the movement that I, that I needed to see. I saw which way, which way the does were using the trails and everything else. And, uh, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to back out of here and wait for the perfect wind on the perfect day. And November 8th, the wind was perfect for that day. It was a little bit breezy and uh, went up there, did some calling. And he didn't come down the exact trail I was expecting. No, lo and behold, he came right through the fucking laurels, which is like there was no trail in the laurels. He just bowled right <laughs> through them, and I was like, oh, shit, I got to act now. And it was at like awesome. six steps. So, yeah, I got the, got the blood pumping for sure. Oh, definitely, man. I know. I could tell. He, I got a phone call in the morning, Logan. I'm literally, it's like, it's like zero dark 30 where I'm at and I'm like getting this call and I'm like, he, I was like, he had to kill one. I was like, I got to answer this. <laughs> and he's like, I smoked him, dude. I was like, hell yeah. I was like, that's awesome. And then that whole morning I was like, just expecting some movement, but no, I didn't, I didn't see anything, but, uh, <laughs> but that's how it goes, like man. No, it was cool, man. I was I was pumped for you, brother, because I know we we talked like the evening before, and uh, it's always cool when one of your buddies calls you when they kill one. I love that, so I appreciate well, you doing was, that. It was a really high pressure situation too, because like that weekend, I really wanted to go to Ohio or Maine, and uh, this was Tuesday, and my buddies were leaving for Maine on Friday night. I was gonna go to Ohio Friday night, and on Wednesday and Thursday. There was a window of perfect weather for one of my number one for my number one hit list, or the Berserker Buck, I call them. And uh, unfortunately, a friend of mine that's a uh, forester for the Game Commission gave me a heads up. They're going to do a control burn on that uh, state game lands right in that area, like right where I had his picture. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. "Are you fucking serious?" And he's <laughs> like, "No, it, it's on the list." We might not do it, but we might, we're probably going to do it. And I'm like, well, I'm going out Tuesday, and if a decent buck comes in, I got to take my opportunity because right. you know, my my hit my hit lister is potentially going to be busted out of there for the season. Yeah. So, but after I shot my buck and tagged my buck, I got a call that, oh, we're not doing it now. Oh man, <laughs> no hey. bullshit. So, 
Bird in the hand's better than a bird in the bush, brother. I mean, I know you yeah. did have – he was a great deer. I hope uh, I hope he makes it and you can kill him next year because that ought to be a slammer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, – I called him the berserker, Logan, because uh, me adding – doing my whole scrape process and everything had him in such a frenzy and so aggressive. He was actually breaking off all those little twine balls I made. Every branch that had one of them on there, he'd snap it the fuck off. So oh, I would man. just go grab, pick up the branch off the ground, tie it right back up. And every time I came to recheck those areas, well, when I'm in hunting season, the only time I check them is actually when I hunt the area. And the four times I hunted that area, he had snapped off all those branches repeatedly. So That's awesome. I felt like I was getting on his nerves enough to where, okay, I'm going to get this guy in the rut. You know, right, right around... The first or second week of November, he's going to be fed the fuck up with me being in there and invading his territory that I'm just going to be able to get him in daylight. But yeah. lo and behold, situations beyond my control happened, and I just, hey, I may do what I had, and I can't complain the result. So. No, that's that's awesome, man. And congrats again on your buck, too. That was an awesome one. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, so like for scrapes, well, for one, I wanted to ask you what's your favorite time and what is your least favorite time to hunt in general. But since we're on this topic, I feel like a lot of this has revolved around scrapes. I mean, let's mm-hmm. let's just get into that first. Like, okay, for you, like doing scrapes, like do you find you can still have good success early in the season with scrapes, or do you find it's best like mid October to late October? I, I. Looking at the data I have now, which I have been doing incessantly since I shot that buck, uh, early in the season, the first week, I could have—I know I could have success on those scrapes. I know for a fact I could. Um, I just got to be able to plunge a little bit deeper. The scrapes that I had uh, the first week that were active, I could see in the week, in the two weeks leading up to the season, deer were consistently each week a half hour earlier a half hour earlier a half hour earlier until it was right on the cusp the week before archery season they were showing up like riding gray light i'm like motherfucker and i'm thinking it's mainly due to because it's public ground so you know people are scouting at the last second so there's human right. presence in the in the woods uh and i felt that was probably pushing them back you know timing wise so if i push a little bit deeper this season i think i which I'm pretty confident that I could put one down in the first week on scrapes. Now, I did also notice, I was just telling Luke this, that there was an uptick in activity probably October, within the week of October 20th, give and take a, a day or two. And yeah. what I noticed there was a lot of buck movement in the daylight and mature mm-hmm. buck movement in the daylight. Not just the scrappers and piss hands, I'm talking like the, the hitters that were moving in daylight and during that week there was at least several days where there was an over a 20 or over 20 degree temperature drop which i believe helped uptick the buck movement right. but i also do believe i had does working the scrapes and actually you know pissing in them which led me to believe perhaps you get an early batch of does the oldest most mature does come into like a, a 24 to 48 hour extra cycle to start kicking off the pre-rut to get the juices flowing and know those bucks start those older bucks catch wind of that and they start getting a little bit more active so that's that's what i thought and then obviously as you know the pre-rut kicked off you see movement more and more and more in daylight yeah 
What would you say for around now, like in this time period? Like, do you think that I've, I mean, I went out hunting this evening. <clears throat> we had a heavy rainstorm last night and all the main scrapes that I've seen that are super fresh, none of them got touched. Um, but that doesn't really mean anything. It'd be kind of interesting to check them like in the next couple of days and see if they got hit. But have you noticed over your time period, like, do they start to taper off from using scrapes as much as like the testosterone goes away? Um, They still use the scrapes. It's still a main form of communication. You may not see as much dirt work and urine and whatnot in the the actual, you know, on the ground. But the actual licking branch is the most important part of it. That's what they use to mainly communicate uh, for the most part. They're in, like, low testosterone, I guess, uh, non-rut phases. Um, I see a lot of it taper off during rifle season because, obviously, the Orange Army is out there and stressing the fuck out of the deer. So you don't see as much activity uh scrape wise yeah that's kind of the same thing i've noticed um this year's been super weird for whatever reason i've really i I would say up until like the last week of october i hardly saw any scrapes um and that doesn't that could just be the areas i was looking in i mean this year's probably been one of the hardest years for me like just finding mature deer i mean it's yeah I i don't know why i mean I've talked to a few friends I have around here, and they've been going through the same thing. I mean, I know there's plenty of great deer that have been killed this year and plenty of success. I mean, it's just just kind of kind of different. Um, it all just seemed to hit, and then when it hit, man, it was like everywhere I'd look in the woods was torn to torn to crap, like everywhere. And as, as far as scrapes go, I had the the scrapes I was uh, overmarking and whatnot were consistently active, except for, all except for one and. We found out the reason why that one uh, kind of dried up on us. A guy had noticed our camera in the early season and uh, been hunting that area, so okay. you know, he kind of he kind of dried that up for us. But uh, as far as uh, the ones that I overmarked, they stayed consistently active. Uh, I did find uh, that rubs weren't as n- numerous this year, you know, throughout the season until the last two weeks. The last two weeks of archery season, it blew up. It was like everywhere you looked, there was a rub. But before yeah. that, there wasn't jack shit unless it was deep into cover. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that had to I'd say it was like that. And it was kind of interesting. I was checking some of my cameras. I had some great, like, great deer during daylight in, like, that October 20th to 25th. Um, like, good mature bucks, like, actually hitting the scrapes. <clears throat> um, during daylight, during shooting time, and I'm like, they were just non-cell cams, and I like couldn't didn't capitalize on the you know information. Go yeah. figure. But you know, lessons learned for next year. I feel like some of those areas that they were in would be, would, are probably historically good during that time. And from what yeah. you're saying, it's like I think pressure plays a good part of it. I mean, what, what do you think, Logan? I mean, you, I mean, for you running cameras on scrapes and stuff, what do you, what's your experience with that? Um, at least for this year, it's, it's been a bitch. Um, cause I've had, I've ran into the same kind of issues. So I, for whatever reason, I cannot find any natural scrapes on the piece of public that I was mainly hunting. And so I created a couple mock scrapes and that first one, um, I went to check my camera and it was late July or August and somebody else had put a camera on my screen <laughs> right next to my camera. 
So I was like, yeah, and right. yep. So there, and there was nothing on it. So I pulled that. I went and put a scrape in a different spot on the other side of this piece. And when I went back to actually hunt it during the season, um, there was a block. Somebody had put up a pop-up blind, probably 10 yards from my scrape. Oh. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how mine uh, has gone this year. Um, I talking about all this, I've thought about what I'm going to do moving forward in this season. Um, and I think that I might try cause I switched. Um, I started hunting a little bit more private, um, or a permission piece that I've got and I might try and throw one up there, um, and see if there's anything that, I just, I feel like scrapes just offer more opportunity than baiting, um, especially for bucks. Like it's just, that's just the way that it works. Um, so I think if I can figure out the right place to put one, that it's going to give me, it could give me an opportunity late season rather than, you know, throwing sits at, it's just times running out. I mean, we still have, you know, basically two months left, but, um, the, this part of the season is tough and I think having something that attracts movement versus just trying to pattern, I think can make a huge difference. True. Very, very true. Um, yeah. If you're, if you're, uh, looking at mock scrapes, the one time I will try to do a mock scrape is if I know where a particular buck is, bedding like uh, not necessarily a single bed but there's a, a better uh, bedding area in general if he's not moving in daylight outside that little core area um, what I'll do is make a mock scrape if there isn't if he doesn't have a satellite scrape in that area or a community scrape I'll make a mock scrape downwind of that position so and obviously do my whole scent ritual with it so that mystery buck to him that mystery buck scent is just blowing in his face constantly and if especially if it's during like you know pre-rut and whatnot add some tarsal to that and that is just gonna freaking eventually it's gonna just be too much for him to to not come and investigate it's a solid tactic man i like that yeah um i think that that could even i mean this time of year like you said, it's, it's their main form of communication. And if you find the right, like I said, if you find the right spot and like you, like you said, get downwind and, you know, let, let him figure it out. I think that that's where it's going to be. That's where I'm going to be able to make it happen. Um, cause I, I know for the past, you know, about week I've been just mulling over in my head, what, what to do next. Um, Cause we're getting into December. It's, you know, they're not just running around anymore. They're getting back onto food and all that kind of stuff. So you're still going to have a few of those unbred does come back into another cycle. So always be cognizant of that too. You know, that, that, that just doesn't uh, shut off completely. Right. So. I was, I was going to ask you about that. What your thoughts were on like the quote unquote second rut. You're always, it, unless you have like, you know, spectacular buck doe ratio which is probably still better than fucking pennsylvania's you're gonna have uh you're you're gonna have 
does come in into heat uh, later that don't get bred on the first go around. You're also going to have fawns that necessarily from the last year that got dropped later than normal because those does got bred late. Um, those fawns, once they reach 75 pounds, they're going to come into a cycle because that's what they, you know, that's like kind of like the, what'll set them off into a cycle is when they reach maturity by that weight. Um, they'll start cycling too. And once they come in, as long as a buck still has antlers, you know, and the juice in the down below to go, he's going to go after it. So. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I killed my second best buck to date uh, December 2nd, and it was just kind of a random, yeah, kind of a random uh, sit I threw at, at a ridgetop, and he came. I, I was imagining <clears throat> my whole, like, game plan on the setup was it was, it was a heavy doe bedding area. It was basically set up on a, a ridge top, uh, like a knob, and it was surrounded by mountain laurel all the way around the hill. And all those does like to bed up right there. So, you know, I hit it with a good wind, and, dude, that deer came in. I imagine he was searching for a hot doe. Um, there were no does. Yeah, I didn't bump here. anything. But it just got me to thinking about, like, this phase that we're at right now. You know, it's around that time period. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of guys, even myself and Logan, I mean, we've both talked, it's like, it's kind of hard. It's hard to like push through when you've been trying so hard all season. It's almost like, man, like, you know, what do you like? Cause you hear so many people talk about late season and it's like, Oh, well it's like, you know, I'm just going to throw in the towel now. And it's like, I don't know. I just don't have that in me. Honestly, like to just give up. I'm just, I'm going to do everything I can, you know, while it's still deer season. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I, I, I fucking, I'll tell you right now, my bread and butter is archery season, and I will 100% tell you, I feel like I suck when it comes to rifle season. And that's just yeah. because the nature of the beast here in Pennsylvania, there's so many people out there in rifle season, you can't really predict what's going what's going to go on, you know. Uh, there's areas that are pressured heavily, and then there's some areas that aren't pressured at all. And right. I feel sometimes uh, the areas I'm at aren't pressured at all, and you don't get deer moving around or they come on from a different uh pressured area and then they sit tight right. so it, it, it's like a clusterfuck when, once the orange army hits the ground here in pennsylvania so I, I, i'll tell you right off the bat as soon as archery season ends I, i'm not as consistent but during archery season that's when i play you know all my hands you know right What's your what's your success rate, man? I mean, uh, as far as like when have you killed most of your deer? Like, would you say earlier season in archery or? To be honest, uh, the vast majority of my deer are taken between November fourth and tenth. Okay. Yeah. Those Same. are those are the bread and butter days. November fourth and tenth. I did kill one on Veterans Day, so we'll say the eleventh. Between that that seven day span, yeah, I killed vast majority of my bucks. So, I, 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 you know, as you say, what, what my favorite time of year to hunt is, you were asking before, it's yeah. the rut. That's my most effective time. Although, I will say this year, uh, the pre-rut is really starting to intrigue me because to see all that action on my cameras, you know, right around yeah. the 20th or a little bit after, ramping up, yep. I'm, I'm going to start making moves a lot sooner now, now that I committed to, uh, to all these cameras and gaining that info vital information because uh this year 
as you know, I told you, and I didn't, I haven't uh, spoken with Logan about it, but uh, I put about ten cameras out this year that I just let soak. I didn't have any plan of hunting that area. I didn't step foot in it since the last week of August, and I was just going to go in right after archery season and collect all that, gather the intel, and set it up for next year because I didn't. It was a great spot. I call it Scrape City because it was just loaded with scrapes in the spring when I saw it. It, it just from last season, just the sign was everywhere, and I said. I want to know how this works and operates before I even step foot in here. And I'm not going to go bumbling around this season. I want to know it ahead of time. So I sacrificed hunting that spot this year for next season. So that's where I got a lot of this intel of, okay, around in and around October 20th, all this shit was happening. So right. that started to pique my interest about pre-rut. So now... You know, is it going to be my new favorite time? I don't know. We'll see. What uh, What do you think makes a difference for you? So you said you start, you know, doctoring up scrapes and everything in March, right? Mm-hmm. And you're working throughout the entire year, um, and you kill, you said you're the majority of your deer between November 4th and November 11th. That's mm-hmm. a long year. Oh, yeah, what, what, absolutely. What it's do you think burn. it is? Yeah. Um, I guess what are, what are the qualities or what are, what goes on in your head to keep you motivated to, to stay at it? And, you know, for (laughs) that many months, uh, I just keep scouting and finding other places. Honestly, once I have the areas I'm going to hunt that season in check, it's like, okay, I got to find something and do something to keep my ass busy. So I stay the fuck out of there, you know? So I'll go and scout other places. I'm a, like you, I'm a big gym nut too. I'm a gym rat. I live in the freaking gym. So I get myself physically and mentally ready that way. Um, so that eats up a chunk of my time too. But the downtime from that, I am usually in the woods checking out spots for next season or, you know, down the line. So um, as the season progresses, and it will fade into your question, Justin, about how I approach the season. It's I'm more of a volume sitter. I'll work those fringes of my main honey spots and just slowly inch my way in as I read the sign, as I read the activity from my sits, and I just keep slowly moving in, in closer, closer, week by week. And then once that rut hits, you know that that seven day grace period and or you know seven day awesome period in November, then I go balls deep and I'm in there. Yeah. And he's not exaggerating when he says that, Logan. I'm pretty sure, like, this dude will walk, like, two miles to go hunting. He he hit me up the one day. He's like, well, my freaking e-bike died, so I got to walk two miles in this morning. I'm like, holy shit, really? It's like, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I'll walk a mile, like, without a problem, but I don't – I usually don't push it too much farther than that. At least I haven't had to. Yeah. And I'm kind of – after the season I've had this year, I think it's pissed me off enough to make me – want to start driving 45 minutes to an hour away to go hunt different places because I've focused most of my energy within like a half hour to 40 minutes of where I live. And it literally did not pay off at all this year. And it wasn't from lack of scouting. wasn't from lack of effort. It was just purely like I need to, I needed more volume of spots. Like I need to find, I need to put more time in, and start scouting some of these better areas. I mean, for you, like when you scout, would you, how much importance does like late season, like shed season scouting compare 
to something that you'll find after green up. I mean, like, are you are you focused more in shed season at looking at topos or you know just geographics, and then you find more of like the sign in the spring to see like what they're doing or what? I will soon as there's no snow on the ground. I am living in the woods because I hate when snow's on the ground because it gives to me it gives a false interpretation of where the deer are. You know, right. it shows you where they are now, but that's a winter pattern. That's you know that's not the same as the pattern from the fall. That's just mm-hmm. how it is around here, in my opinion. Um, you see all those hard run trails in the snow, and then you get hung up on that, and you're really not hunting the deer where they're going to be in October and November. You're hunting the you're you're taking into account of where the deer are now in like what February and March. Um, as soon as that snows off the ground, I can go ahead and find all those scrapes, all those rubs, all that sign, those trails, and everything else. I could see the woods as it is in archery season in my mind, and that's when I get my most effective scouting done. Um, as soon as green up hits, it does make it a lot more difficult because you can't see the trails as yeah. noticeably. Um, uh, I, that's like when green up hits. That's when I start really pulling back on scouting. Uh, you know, okay. for for uh, my that season's huntable areas, I should yeah. say. Yeah, so that's why you were saying around March is when you try to get out there, right? You like that period in yep. between February, and March after after the snow falls and not at green up. Yep, yep. As and then the you'll, snow's gone, and then I'm in there. Do you pay much attention to like previous scrapes or uh, previous rubs? I mean, when you see like old rubs and it's stuff like that. Rubs. Yeah. Uh, historical rubs, yes, uh, especially signpost rubs that are just beat to shit year after year after year. I feel those are a big bucks uh, posted signs. Yeah. You know, you'll have multiple, you'll have multiple mature bucks, and even immature bucks. And I've even seen those rub their face all over signpost rubs. Yep. Um, if I see those, I really key in on those areas. If I see those with a scrape under it, it that's like major razor. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I really key in on those. Uh, a lot of historical rubs. If you see tons of historical rubs and even fresh rubs around those historical rubs in the area, you got something going. I mean, it, it, you're, you're near somebody's bedding area that was their bedding area at one point in time. Doesn't mean that a big buck yep. won't come back in and take over his area. You know, that deer might be gone and dead, but you know, deer are always going to be taking over you know, older deer's areas once they're out of, out of the picture. So, you know, just because... I agree with that. Especially a a bigger old mature deer, they seem to really, like, mark up their prime bedding areas. Like, some of the... Oh, 100%. Some of the biggest sheds I've found have been in in an area that's full of sapling rubs. I mean, just crazy beat to crap. But, um... I mean, it's it's just uh, one of those things, man. I, I feel like... You know, you, the more I talk to some of these guys, um, some of the older guys that we like respect and follow, it's always, it's always interesting to me that some of them, you know, they really don't care that much about rubs. And I th- feel like for me, I always used to put, I, I think I used to put too much uh, thought into, you know, finding a rub here or there, finding a rub line. And it's like, to them, they're like, I don't really care about that, but I do know that a lot of those guys really focus on scrapes. So, well, it's it all depends. I said uh, 
location of the rub is a big part of it too. Um, it's all information that you can use. Yeah, it's I not agree. necessary bullshit information. Any bit of information you can use is going to stack the odds in your favor. Right. Like if you find a, one of those big old signpost rubs, I mean, clearly it's being used year after year after year after year. There's some importance to it. There's got to be some importance to it. And I have yeah. cameras running right now that I'm going to pull eventually that are on signpost rubs. And I'm going to see what kind of information I could pull off of it. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's all, they're all pieces to the puzzle. So, yeah. I know you, the you previous an immense amount of time on it. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. No, it's just like anything. Our previous uh, guest, we had uh, my buddy Tyler. He he was a big believer. He had one spot on his farm where it was a big signpost rub, man. And he he honestly he put a camera on that, and he would get most of the bucks that were on that farm, and they would all a great hit inventory that thing. point. Right? Yeah, it's just like a, a scrape, pretty much the same kind of principle. Mm -hmm. But, well, I mean, really, man, honestly, we covered a lot more than, uh, than I was expecting to. Um, yeah, man. I, I, I had a great, I mean, I had a great time doing this or yeah. I was going to ask, I was going to ask like the one question I asked all of our guests, but I feel like you already answered it. Maybe not, but what's one thing, um, that you do differently that separates you from most of the other hunters out there? I mean, if you could put it on okay. one thing. Uh, one thing that I do differently, I dedicate my life to it, to be honest. I, there's nothing else that, that really I do. This is it. I, uh, other guys enjoy it. They put time and effort into it, but to be honest, I'm one of very few people that are out there constantly that this is the, all they think about. I mean, I'm single, don't have any kids. You know, I'm on my own, so I don't have anything holding me back. And it, this is literally what I think about nonstop because, to be honest, that hunting is therapy for me. If I yeah. couldn't hunt, I'm pretty sure there'd be a fucking body count. <laughs> it's <just laughs> the way it is. And it, you know, the hustle and bustle of everyday life and the grind of, you know, the working life, it, it chips away at your soul a little bit. And then when hunting season comes for me, I feel like my soul heals and I like get that inner child back a little bit. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, that's what I look forward to. And people look forward to hunting season to an extent, but I need it to live. That's just, yeah. and, and I think that's mindset is what sets me apart from everybody. That's awesome. I man. like it. That's a killer answer. Uh, couldn't agree more, <laughs> honestly. I mean, I feel the same way. It's it's kind of it gets tough, man, when you have kids. Logan, I mean, I know you can you can relate. It's been it's been a struggle for the the work balance and hunting balance. I mean, I I couldn't agree more with like what you were saying about you know you need to hunt because I need to also, yeah. man. It's just it's one of those things. I think I would go insane if I didn't have the outdoors. Oh, but, absolutely. Like to me, hearing the leaves crunch from a deer you know i wait all season for that i there's times when i go out into a tree and i pray i pray to god i just go i don't even care if i see there just if i could hear them walk to me right. that is that is total like nirvana total like mesmerizing peace for me amen dude i, I 
Travis, I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight, man. It has been a blast. Time, we will man. we will definitely be having you back on. Um, Absolutely. I'm going to close Thanks this one out. And um, we will catch you all uh, next week. Appreciate you all tuning in. Take it easy. Thanks again for tuning in with us this week, guys. Really appreciate all the support. Got a, a few of you guys reaching out to us, asking us for content. Um, just keep that up. Uh, if you guys have any questions or anything that you'd like to have us touch on, please feel free to reach out to us. I want to give a special thanks to our sponsor, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. If you guys haven't, check them out online at lonewolfcustomgear.com. Uh, they've got some sales coming up, and uh, if you need anything mobile hunting related, it is the place to go to. Tons of great products to just make your life that much easier in the woods and get you to the point where you need to be at on that target buck. We're going to close out today with a quote from Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, I really like this quote. I think it meshes well with today's podcast. He says, success isn't always about greatness. It's about consistency. Constant hard work leads to success and greatness will come. Hope that finds you all well today. Hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in again, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you all next week.